You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. All right, I'm ready. Let's get in this thing. Tonight, we're going to be closing out the series that we've been in for the past month called Parables. So for the past month, the past three weeks, we have been digging deep. How many of you know, we, went, we haven't been playing around here at New Song Students. We've been digging deep. We've been getting in God's word. And we have been learning about these stories that Jesus told. If it's your first time tonight or you're just new to the Bible, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus told these kind of crazy sounding stories. Sometimes they don't make sense to us. But they were stories that would communicate a kingdom truth to an ancient audience, right? Kingdom truth to an ancient audience. And sometimes when we read these parables, because we are not an ancient audience, right? Can I get an amen? We ain't ancient. We modern. Because we're a modern audience, when we read the parables, sometimes at face value, they don't make sense to us. It's like, what did I just read? But when we learn, which we've been doing for the past three weeks, how to dig, how to ask the right questions and see what the context is and what we're reading, man, we can pull out some amazing truths that are for us today. Amen, New Song students? Amen, amen. And in week one, we talked about this. We talked about how parables are not just a story that Jesus told to communicate facts about God, but they're actually stories that we're supposed to live out of our life. In other words, you don't just read parables, you live them, right? You don't just read parables, we live parables. And so I'm just curious, has anybody gotten anything from this series so far? Come on, show, show of hands. It's been so good. We have covered so much ground. I've learned some stuff in this series, and I hope you have too. So just before we get into tonight's, let me just recap where we've been. If you, if you missed a couple of weeks or, I don't know, if you didn't listen, then you're going to get a recap for that pop quiz in small group tonight. I'm just kidding. There's no pop quiz. If you were taking notes, in week one, we talked about the parable of the pounds, right? The parable of the pounds. And in that week, we looked at this thing called the Great Commission. And how every single one of us, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are called to, one, represent Jesus. He's your king. He's your king who's coming back. And you live in a world who doesn't want Jesus to be king. So you represent him. And two, you're called to make disciples. We're called to invest in people. And the second week, y'all know Maddie brought a word on the parable parable of the prodigal son. And she talked about this thing that the enemy would love to use to keep you from walking out that commission. This thing called comparison. And the enemy will use comparison in your, in your life to get, get you looking at anything and everything but who God's called you to be to stop you from walking in the commission. And then last week we looked at the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we talked about this really hard thing that Jesus calls us to do. And it's to forgive, right? But we looked at how true forgiveness, forgiveness that Jesus has called us to walk in is not just being a doormat. It's not just letting people walk over you and pretending like you've never been hurt before. But in order to truly release somebody from a debt from our heart, what do we got to do? We got to count the cost. And so this is where we've gotten so far, man. We've covered a ton of ground. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to wrap up this series in a nice, pretty bow. Amen. Y'all ready? So I need you to do whatever you need to do tonight to get yourself in a posture to receive 
to hear God, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe that's just following along on the screen. Maybe that's getting the notes out on your phone or your journal, your Bible, whatever you got to do, do it. And tonight we're going to be finding our parable in Matthew 25, and it's actually at the very end of this chapter. It's in verse 42, Matthew 24, sorry, Matthew 24, verse 42. Here's what it says. This is Jesus talking. So so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times. Somebody say, at all times. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. Okay, so Jesus shares this little story, but that's not the parable. The parable is right here in verse 45. Here's what he says. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Anybody want a reward? I want a reward. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But, somebody say, uh uh-oh. But, what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while. And he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk. Yikes. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. That's a bad day. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew, okay. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to notice a trend with the parables that Jesus tells. They're all these, like, they're these stories. They kind of sound normal. And then Jesus, like, ends it with just this, like, knuckle punch right to the face, right? He just ends it with this crazy, crazy ending. This is like, a, this is a pattern I'm sensing in parables. I don't know about you. But before we unpack this parable, before we get into the nitty gritty and look at what Jesus is trying to get us to today, um, I want to talk to you guys tonight about something that I think is honestly, arguably, one of the most important things God is looking for in his people. And it's this thing called integrity. Somebody say integrity. integrity. If you're taking notes tonight, the title of the message, if you want to write this down, is In the Dark. In the Dark. Before we get into it, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to this word tonight. Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. Holy Spirit, we love you. I'm so grateful for this family, God. I'm so grateful that we can come in week in and week out and spend time in your presence and worship you, God, and see you move. And I'm so thankful, God, that I can come here and that I can preach your word and that students in this room can hear the voice of God speaking to them. I'm so thankful, God, that you are in this place because you have been lifted up. This is all about you. It's not about us. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prepare all of our hearts for the word you have for us tonight so we can walk in integrity the way you called us to. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, so before we get into the principle of integrity, I think we got to first address, okay, what is Jesus specifically talking about in this parable? What is he specifically saying? Now, when I was learning how to 
read the Bible. And when I was learning, when I was y'all's age, learning that it's important to read the Bible for myself, when I was y'all's age, I had youth pastors and youth leaders all of the time telling me, hey, when you read God's word, ask this question after you're done reading. What do I think this means? Have you ever been told to do that? Hey, after you read this passage, what do you think this means? Ask this question to yourself, journal it, write it down. Well, as I've grown and as I've spent years in the Bible for myself, can I be honest with you? I think that's the worst question you can ask yourself after reading God's word. I think that's the worst game plan you can have when reading God's word. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be mean. If that's something you do, don't, don't get offended at me, okay? I'm not trying to be mean. I actually want you to fall in love with God's word. Can I get an amen? That's what I want for you. Um, but the reality is this question, what do I think this means, rarely is actually going to get us to where it actually means. What, I'm, what do I mean by that is, have you ever misinterpreted a text message from somebody before? Yeah. Every hand should be up right now. I feel, like, I feel like I do this all the time with some of the dudes in this student ministry. Because uh, I'm not going to name any names, but there's some dudes in this student ministry. None of my leaders would do this to me. But y'all don't know how to text. Because I'll be texting you guys sometimes, and you will reply with an okay and nothing else. And I hate that. Like, no exclamation mark, no emoji, just okay. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, what do you mean by just okay? Do you mean like, okay? Or do you mean like, okay, dude? Or do you mean K? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if I texted you one day, if we were texting, and I texted you okay, and I was not mad, like I was not mad at all, but you misinterpreted that and thought, okay, why is Pastor Jackson mad at me? And you go down this completely different path. How many of you know? That's not where I wanted you to go, right? And this is kind of what happens if we read God's word and we say, before looking anywhere else, what do I think this means? Are you hearing me? And so I think one of the greatest questions we can ask, well, really what what I want to say is we've got to ask a different question first. It's not bad to ask, what do I think about this? Trust me, that's not a bad question. But to start there, that'll get you places that the scripture is not actually trying to get you to at first. And so check this out. I want to give you a big, fancy theological term. It's juicy. Are you ready for it real quick? You ready? Okay, what we've got to do is we've got to learn how to read the Bible. You ready for this? Exegetically. Woo, that's a big word. We've got to learn how to read the Bible exegetically. What do I mean by that? Okay, well, when we learn to exegete the text, exegete is like this. It's like taking the text and pulling from it. But when we eisegete, which is when I say, what do I think this means? We're putting what we think into the word. Does that make sense? But when we exegete, what we're doing is we're saying, what did the author mean when they wrote this? Which, who was the author? The Holy Spirit. What did Jesus mean when he was saying this? What's the, what's the context of this whole book as opposed to just this one verse? Are you hearing me, New Song students? When we ask these kinds of questions first, then when we apply it to our life personally, it means a totally different thing. And that's a good thing, right? Because we want it to mean what it's supposed to mean. So, Check this out. Our parable is in, is in Matthew chapter 24. Now, we just read the end of Matthew chapter 24. If you read the whole chapter of Matthew 24, you'll see that Jesus is spending a lot of time talking about the future. He's talking prophetically. He's talking about, really, the end of the world. Some crazy stuff. 
And it actually starts like this. The beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, the disciples and Jesus, they're in Jerusalem, and the disciples are like talking about how dope the temple is. They're like, Jesus, check out how dope that temple is. And Jesus is like, oh, like, you like that temple right there? That temple's going to be torn down. There's not going to be a stone left on that temple. And then he starts going into all of this crazy stuff that's going to happen in the world one day to let us know that Jesus is coming back. Amen. There's going to be stuff that happens in the world. Like there's going to be people who come up and they're false prophets and they're, they're saying, I'm Jesus, and they're not. And there's going to be wars and earthquakes and all of this crazy stuff. Jesus is talking about all of this future stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be persecution. It's like not PG stuff, right? He's talking about the end of the world. Yeah. And all of this prophetic language is what leads us to our parable in the end of Matthew chapter 24 about these two servants. So what do we see in this parable? Well, we see a master. He's leaving. And while, this is familiar, this is kind of like the parable of the talents and the parable of the pounds. He leaves, and when he returns, he finds the first servant, and he did everything. He did the work. He, was, he, was, he did what he was given. He was responsible with what was given. And what do we see happen? He's rewarded. It's kind of familiar. But then we see the other servant. And he realizes, oh, my master's gone for a while. I'm going to party it up a little bit. I'm going to do what I want to do. Man, this master's always telling me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so he starts beating people up. And he starts partying and drinking. And then the master shows up unexpected. You ever been caught doing something unexpected? You're like, he gets caught unexpected. And what happens? He gets disciplined. Now, what is Jesus, y'all hanging in with me? What is Jesus trying to talk to us about specifically? And what was he trying to tell the disciples specifically? Well, what he was saying was, hey, I am the master who's getting ready to leave. And we talked about this in week one. Jesus, I hope you know this, he's actually coming back one day. Like, I know we worship him and we, and we talk about him all the time and he's, he's not actually here, he's in heaven, but... Y'all need to know, like, Jesus is physically coming back one day. And when he does, he's going to be king, right? Jesus is going to be king when he returns, whether people like it or not. He's the master that's going to come back. And guess when he's coming back? He's coming back unexpected. And so what is Jesus trying to say? He's trying to say, we can either live our lives with an urgency as if Jesus could come back at any moment. We can live our lives with that attitude of, hey, I want Jesus to find me living for him, right? Or we can live our lives with the mindset of the evil servant, which is, "Eh, I mean, Jesus isn't really here right now. So, like, I can, I mean, I've got time to do what I want. And we can live our lives that way. But what happens is most of the time, and at one point, Jesus is going to show up unexpected. And you want to be seen, at least I want to be seen, living for God in that moment. Amen? Amen. So this is, what, this is what Jesus is talking about specifically. It's prophetic. It's talking about the end of the age. But I don't know about you. I can't help but see that there's a principle in this story. It's not just about that. There's a principle in this story. And the principle that God is showing us in this parable is the principle of integrity. Somebody say integrity. integrity. So we're going to talk about integrity tonight. Really, what we find in this parable is that we can either live our lives walking with integrity, or we can live our lives constantly 
compromising our integrity. So check this out. When I first moved here to Oklahoma City to join New Song Church and to start the process of building this youth ministry, I was 22 years old. Caleb knew me. Where's Caleb at? Caleb knew me. I wasn't even married to Haley yet. We were just babies. We were engaged, but I was moving up here, and we weren't going to get married for six months. And so when I moved up here, I knew nobody. All I knew were the pastors. I knew Pastor Josh, Pastor Sarah, Pastor David, and Kaylee, his wife. That was it. And so I'm moving to a new state. I don't know anybody. And so I called David, and I'm like, hey, David, I would really love it if you could help me find somebody to live with. Because I'm not going to get married for six months, and I don't know about you, but I'm going to save any money where I can. So if you could help me find a roommate, because I don't know anybody, that would really help a brother out. That would help a brother out. Because I didn't want to move and get an apartment for six months and just waste a ton of money. I was like, if we can split this, that would really help me. So long story short, I get connected with this guy who was loosely connected to New Song Church, but it didn't matter. I just needed somebody. So we become roommates. He was about my age, and I honestly loved living with this dude. He was an awesome guy. We had a ton of fun being roommates. But I'll never forget the first time that we hung out. I was literally, I had just gotten off the bus. I had been in Oklahoma City for like eight hours, all right? I, I didn't know anybody. I had just moved my entire life here. And he and some of his friends, they were going out to hang out and grab pizza. And it was late. It was like midnight. And the only place open at midnight to get pizza is this place called Empire Slice, which if you've ever been there, it's really good pizza. It's not Hall's Pizza, but it, but it is Empire. It's pretty good. So him and his buddies, they're going to get Empire Slice. And I'm kind of the new weird guy. I just moved. They don't even know me. And they're like, hey, you want to come get pizza with us? And honestly, I am not a night person at all. And so this, I was like, dude, you guys are going to get pizza at midnight? That's stupid. But, but I had zero friends. So I was like, yeah, dude, I'll go. Let's, sure, let's go get pizza. So we go to Empire. We have some bomb pizza. And I'm that, it was kind of awkward for me because I didn't know anybody. I'm just kind of sitting there watching them all goof off and hang out. And I'm the new guy. And at the end of our dinner, um, the waitress, she comes back to our table and she gives, uh, she gives me my little receipt book with my receipt in it, and I open it up, and there's $20 in my receipt book. And it's the same $20 that I used to pay for my pizza. And so in this moment, uh, well, so what, really what happened was she forgot to take my money and give me change. So I, technically, I could just have walked away with this money, right? You hear me? So I open up the, the checkbook, and I see the $20 right there. And just instantly, a million thoughts are going through my head. I'm like, oh, man, what do I do? Do I take this money? Uh, do, I, do I go talk to her? Like, man, I could really use this money right now. Like, maybe this is God blessing me for being obedient and moving my life to Oklahoma City. I was desperate, okay, y'all? I was desperate. But I'm looking at the money, and I knew. I was like, man, I can't take this money. I cannot take this money. I didn't move my entire life to a different state to give up my integrity over a slice of pizza. Wow. So, so I, I picked up the $20 bill. I didn't even mean to do this, but I picked it up in front of all the guys in the circle, and I just said this out loud. I was like, oh, man, she forgot to take my money. And in that moment, all the guys were like, bro, you got free pizza. That's what I'm talking about. You got to take that money. Oh, and 
in that moment, I was honestly kind of shocked. And I was shocked because these dudes were Christians. These were dudes who claimed to be, and, and I believe they were, people who followed Jesus, and yet they're telling me, hey, you got to take this money. And so I knew, what, I knew what God was inviting me to do. So I get up, I grab the money, I take it back to my waitress, and she is blown away. She's like, oh my gosh, you could have just, thank you so much. Like, she was so thankful. And I left that night, kind of sad, honestly, for two different reasons. I left sad, first off, that that lady was so unbelievably shocked that I gave back the money. And you know, this is the world that we live in. We live in a world that is shocked when people do the right thing. We live in a world where people are shocked when you actually have integrity, because that's how many people don't have integrity. And then I was also sad because these guys that I, were, I was hanging out with, some of them were in ministry just like me. These guys who, who belong to Jesus encouraged me to not walk in integrity. So check this out, New Song students. I think if there's anything that we can learn from our parable tonight, it's that integrity is a big deal to God. Integrity is a big deal to God. I love the way Billy Graham talks about integrity. This is a good quote. So after I read it, if you want to take a picture of it, you totally should. Look at this. Billy Graham says, integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. We must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. Look at this. This is my favorite part. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, all is lost. Man, that's good. When character is lost, when we don't have integrity, man, all is lost. What is integrity? If you're taking notes, write this down. Integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. Now, we tend to live very divided lives. We tend to live these nice and neat, divided and compartmentalized lives. And what I mean by that is, you know, with this group of friends, I'm the Jesus freak. And with this group of friends over here, I'm the star player on my team. And with this group of friends, I'm this person. And then when I'm with nobody, when I'm by myself, I'm this person. And I do these things. And I say these things. And I look at these things. Integrity, though, is not the state of being compartmentalized. It's the state of being undivided, being whole. In other words, what you see is what you get. That's what integrity is. What you see in me is what you get. No matter who I'm with, no matter what I'm doing, this is who I am. And the difficult part about integrity is that we like to, naturally, we like to focus more on what people are going to see in us than what they aren't going to see. We focus more on what people see in us than what they don't see. So uh, to, to help illustrate this, not to brag or not to boast or toot my own horn, but there's something, there's an area in my life that I am definitely, definitely not lacking integrity in, okay? And it's the fact that, and I've talked about this before in New Song Students, I like watching boring television. <laughs> I like boring TV. I have said that from the platform. Haley, Haley and I, we love boring television. We like watching documentaries. Come on. One person's with me. We like watching documentaries. We're obsessed with the Great British Baking Show. We love, we love GBBS. And I'm telling y'all, y'all don't even know. We like, my favorite thing to watch is home improvement shows. <laughs> 
Y'all, I'm so basic. I have, I'm subscribed to the Magnolia Network. That's how much I like. I'm not joking. Uh, we are subscribed to the Magnolia Network. That's how much we like watching home improvement shows. So check this out. Check this out. Last week, we were watching this show. It's a home improvement show called In With The Old. And um, it's all about these people who buy these old antique buildings, and then they turn them into homes. It's pretty dope. And there was this one episode we're watching where this couple, they bought, they bought an entire abandoned neighborhood of houses in North Carolina. And all these houses, like they're these beautiful old 100, 150 plus year old homes. And what their plan is, is they're going to fix up all of these homes and they're going to turn them into Airbnbs that people can come and stay at for the weekend. It's pretty cool. And so in this specific um, episode, and really, if you've ever watched a home improvement show, you know this. Uh, before you can get to the really fun stuff, like that exterior paint color and that hip wallpaper and the foyer and that open concept, before you get to all the fun stuff at the end of the show, at the reveal, how many of you know? You've got to do the stuff that nobody's going to care about and nobody's going to see. In fact, most of the, these types of shows is people working on plumbing and electrical and all the things that are not fun paying for that nobody's going to see, right? Well, in this specific episode, they're working on this house, and it's this beautiful house. I mean, it's, it's beat up. They've got to fix it up, but it's, a really, it's got tons of potential. And they open up the bottom of the house, and I wish I had a picture for you, but I couldn't find it. I'm telling you all, this house was being held up by a pile of rocks. The entire house, the foundation, was being held up for 100 years by a pile of rocks. So in this moment, they realized that the integrity of this house is compromised. At any point, this house could literally crumble while we're working on it. Here's what we need to understand about integrity. Look at this. Reputation is who everybody thinks you are, but integrity is who you really are. Reputation is who everybody thinks you are, but integrity is who you really are. And check this out. We tend to spend more time, more money, more effort on the things that people are going to see in our life. Just like in the shows, we love to see the reveal, and we like to focus on that, and we do that in our lives. We focus on what we're wearing. We focus on how do I look in front of this group of people, and when we do this, we can build a life that looks like a beautiful house that is being held up by a pile of rocks. And check this out. This is what Jesus was constantly doing when he was rebuking this group of people called the Pharisees. Look at this. In Matthew 23, this is just a chapter before our parable, by the way. Look at what he says to the Pharisees. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? Hypocrites. Yikes. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. Look at this. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish and then the outside will be clean too. Okay, so what is the point that Jesus is trying to make here? Hey, you're focusing too much on what people see. You're lacking focus on your heart, on deeper things. They were so, in fact, I bet all of the people seeing Jesus rebuke the Pharisees were a little confused because they thought they were perfect. On the outside, the Pharisees looked like they had it all together. They prayed in the street corner. They said all the big fancy words, but Jesus could see all through that. 
he could see all through the Pharisees, and he saw, hey, you've got a really pretty house, but it's built on a pile of rocks. It's built on a pile of rocks. Integrity is a big deal to God. And check this out. Integrity is a big deal to God because God is not divided, right? God is not divided. And God is kind of like Maddie said tonight. He's never going to change. He's always going to be, you're never going to be surprised by God. You're not going to hang out with God one day and be like, oh, you're a jerk. No, (laughs) God is always who he is. And check this out. The Pharisees, who were they? They were priests. What is a priest's role? A priest's role is to represent God to people. So why is Jesus rebuking the Pharisees so hard? Because they're not reflecting a whole God. They're reflecting a God who's divided and compartmentalized. And if you really got to know the Pharisees, you would see that they actually don't have a relationship with God at all. And this is why Jesus confronted them. And did you know that when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, you know what God calls you and I? Priests. We're called a royal priesthood. You know what that means? That means when people see you, they see a reflection of God. And my question for us is what kind of reflection is our integrity showing people? If people were really to get to know you on a deeper level, would they see a house that's held up by rocks? Or, man, would they see a God who's whole and the same? Is this good stuff? Okay, I've got a couple points for you on integrity. Write this down if you're taking notes. Integrity is reinforced in the dark, and integrity is compromised in the dark. Integrity is reinforced in the dark, but it's also compromised in the dark. So going back to that illustration of the house, it's, it's in the foundation where nobody sees it. That's where the integrity is either fixed or it's neglected. And going back to the story of our parable, we find these two servants, and when was their integrity tested? Was it tested when the master was there? No. Their integrity was tested when they were in the dark, when their master wasn't there, when he wasn't seeing what they were doing. It was in that moment when the faithful servant's integrity shined, and it was in that moment when the master was gone, when the evil servant's integrity was compromised. both Both things happen in the dark. Good things happen in the dark when nobody sees. Bad things happen in the dark when nobody sees. They both happen in the dark. Second thing we got to know about integrity is this. Our integrity is easier to keep than to recover. Our integrity is easier to keep than to recover. Going back to the illustration of this old house, I'm telling you, you want to discover that you have a bad foundation before you spend all of this money on pretty stuff. Because if you spend all this money on having the beautiful kitchen and the perfect bedroom, but then you find out your integrity is compromised... You've got a lot of pretty stuff, but the slightest thing could make that entire house crumble. Did you hear what I'm saying? So check this out. In the same way, our integrity, when we work on it, when nobody's seeing, when we focus on it in the dark, man, that's a lot easier to do that now than later on when people see what's actually there, and then you have to recover it. Integrity is easier to keep than to recover. So I also want you to know this. This is really important for us to know. Integrity is not perfection. I want you to know this. Integrity does not mean being perfect. If that was what the definition of integrity was, that would mean, guess what? Only Jesus can have integrity. And that's a little unfair because we're called to have integrity. And and Jesus would not call you to have something 
that is impossible for you to have. So integrity is not being perfect 100% of the time. Because really, when we focus on being perfect 100% of the time, that's usually when our integrity is compromised. Because we're trying to look perfect 100% of the time. But this is what integrity is. Integrity is not being afraid to confront being imperfect. You know, for me personally, can I just be real with you? Some of the most, uh, some of the greatest acts of integrity in my life is not when I'm being perfect all the time, but it's when I am being imperfect and then owning it. Some of the people that I looked up to the most in my life, who I would say have the greatest character, I'm telling you, they would be the first to admit that they're imperfect. And that's why they have integrity, because they're not playing a game with people, right? This is what integrity looks like. Integrity is not perfection. And so, y'all hanging in with me? Okay, we're going to get ready to close this out. I want to give you three points about integrity, and then I want to give you, I want to kind of give you a good gift at the end. I want to give you a benefit of what integrity can do in your life. Um, So if you're taking notes, write this down. Point number one, integrity knows God sees everything. (laughs) Integrity knows God sees everything. In this parable that Jesus shared with his disciples, what was the motivation for that evil servant to do all that bad stuff? What was his motivation to sin? What was the fact that he thought... Remember, he thought his master wouldn't see it. He thought that he was in the dark. He thought, hey, my master's gone. I could probably get away with some of this stuff without him knowing, and it would be okay. And he thought the master wouldn't see it. And it's kind of like this. Have you ever been in class before, and it's quiet? You guys are taking a test, and then your teacher leaves, and then everybody just kind of starts to talk, and it gets louder and louder. That ever happened to you before? That's exactly what's happening That's exactly what's happening in this parable. The master leaves, and he's like, oh, this is my chance. And he thinks he's unseen. Look at this. I love this commentator. He writes this. This is a great principle, which is applicable to every age. You and I ought to live our lives in light of the fact that we are to stand in the presence of Christ. Look at this. Note that I didn't say in the light of the coming of Christ, but in the light of the presence of Christ. In other words... Listen to this. In other words, when somebody's watching us, how many of you know? When we know somebody's watching us, we tend to do the right thing. We, we kind of stand up straight. We say the right things. We, we try to be good when we know somebody's watching us. I'm about to blow your mind, New Song students. Guess what? God's watching you. God sees everything. God sees everything. Yeah, Jesus isn't, isn't physically here with us. But you know where God is right now in the spirit? He's in you. So guess what? Integrity knows God sees everything. Point number two is this. Integrity knows everything will eventually be revealed. And y'all did not amen me for that one. Integrity knows everything will eventually be revealed. So thank you, thank you. So check this out. Good stuff happens in the dark. Bad stuff happens in the dark, but integrity knows no matter what, it's all going to be revealed one day. I think one of the greatest stories in the Bible of integrity is of a guy named Joseph. Y'all familiar with the story of Joseph? This is my favorite story in the Bible. I love the story of Joseph. I wish I had time to read it and get into some chunky scriptures, 
but we don't have time for that. I got to wrap this up. So I'm going to give you the SparkNotes version of Joseph's story. Y'all ready for the SparkNotes version? Okay, so Joseph, y'all know, he's a man. He's got a special calling from God. But early on in his life, his brothers, his darn brothers, they sell him into slavery. And, and when we read his story, we see that pretty quickly, Joseph's integrity starts opening up some doors in his life. And over time, we find Joseph, and he is like super successful. He's working for this guy named Potiphar. He's doing okay. He's making some money. He's respected. He's got authority. Like Joseph is doing good. And in this part of the scriptures in Genesis 39, we discover that Potiphar is not the only person who likes Joseph. Uh-oh. Because Potiphar's wife, she kind of got, she'd be crushing. Really, she's not just crushing. Potiphar's wife, she thirsty, y'all. <laughs> Potiphar's wife, she wants, for lack of a better terms, she wants to get with Joseph. And so when you read, listen to me, New Song students, when you read this, in Genesis 39, they're by themselves one day, just Joseph and Potiphar, and Potiphar, or Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar comes up to Joseph. That would be weird. Um, Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph, and she tries to sleep with Joseph. And in this moment, you need to know, Joseph could have 100% done this, gotten a quick hit of pleasure, and nobody would have ever known. He could have done that, but he didn't. Joseph was a man of integrity, and so he, he straight ran from that. And after that, we find, out, we find out that Potiphar's wife, she falsely accuses Joseph of this. And he gets in trouble, obviously. And look at what it says in Genesis 39, 19. Y'all hanging in with me? He says, Potiphar was furious. I feel you, bro. He was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. False. So he... Nobody laughed at that. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But look at this. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. This is the best part. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. New Song students, what I want you to see is even though Joseph repu Joseph's reputation was completely ruined, even though he looked like the villain in this story, you need to know his integrity was eventually revealed. Eventually, the good came out. The fact that Joseph actually was a man of integrity, and that was revealed one day. That wasn't hidden forever. And it's because, check this out, Jesus says this in Luke 8, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything, somebody say everything. Everything. everything that is concealed will be brought to the light and made known to all. Everything. So integrity realizes, I'm telling you, the good and the bad. Yeah. Guess what? All of it, it's going to be revealed one day. It is. All of it's going to be revealed. And the last point, as we get ready to close, Jay, you can throw in some sweet-sounding music to make this part sound really good. good. <laughs> point number three, if you're taking notes, is this. Integrity knows everything builds. What do I mean by that? Integrity knows everything builds. Well, Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartedly 
as for the Lord and not for men. That says whatever you do. You know what that means? In everything that you do. In everything you do, do it for God. Guess what? That means you don't have to just compartmentalize your life from church and school and baseball and and whatever. Guess what? In everything you do, you can do that in a way that worships God. That's what integrity looks like. In fact, I was listening to a message this week from a pastor and he shared this, this story, kind of like a modern day parable about what integrity looks like. And it was so good. I was like, I'm sorry, dude, I'm gonna have to steal that from you for my students. But here's how it goes. I want you to imagine with me, you've got this house builder, this home builder, this architect, and he's been building for 45 years, the best homes like the most top-notch, perfectly built, strong, weather-resistant homes. He's been doing it his entire life, 45-year career, successful, and he's getting ready to retire. And he's working on his final house before retirement. And so obviously, he's really excited to go retire, chill, go on vacation. I don't know, whatever retired people do. (laughs) He's stoked. So he finishes his last house, He comes to his boss and he's like, hey, I finished the house, it's done. I'm ready to go on my retirement. And his boss comes to him and says, hey, I know that you thought that was your last house, but if you could just build one more house for me, I know it's a big ask. I know you really wanna retire, but if you could just build one more house for me, man, I'd really appreciate that. And so reluctantly, the home builder is like, fine, yeah, I'll build you your last house. And so he gets to building this house And unfortunately, he was so ready to retire that with this house, he didn't build it the same way he built all of his other houses. He cut corners. He got the cheapest, he got the cheapest, I almost said ingredients. (laughs) He He got the cheapest materials. He got the cheapest contractors. He didn't double check things. He was just like, yeah, it's good, whatever. I just wanna be done. And he built this house as quick as he possibly could. And then he builds this house, it's finished. He comes back to his boss and he's like, hey, I did what you wanted. I built this house. I'm retired now. See you later. And his boss comes to him and says, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for an incredible 45 years of building houses. Here's the key to that house you built. Yikes. Check this out, New Song students. If that ain't a good picture of integrity, listen to me. Every, integrity knows every choice I make is building a house that I eventually have to live in one day. This is what integrity looks like, New Song students. But the good news, I wanna close with this. This is the good news. When I live a life of integrity, I am under supernatural covering. I'm telling you, New Song students, I I don't know how to explain it other than when you live in integrity, there is a supernatural covering over your life. There is a supernatural covering where God shows up in ways you could never imagine or describe. And it's because God sees everything. And just like in this parable, guess what? He's a rewarder. He's a good father. And so when he sees you doing good in the dark, when he sees you trusting him in the dark, going against the grain of the world in the dark, guess what? There's a supernatural covering that is over your life. And we see this in the life of Joseph. Man, Joseph had some of the worst cards dealt in his life. 
but he still made it to the top at the end because he had a supernatural covering over his life that came from integrity. Students, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to close. Thank you.